Welcome, welcome to the show. Uh, today, we're just gonna, this is our first episode. So I thought what we'd do today is um, just hang out and uh, talk and like let you guys get to know us. I am Scott. I'm your host. With me, I got my buddy Travis. Hello, nice to meet you. So, this is our podcast. Um, and we're just going to kind of make it up as we go. One cool premise, I think, I don't know what you think, that we kind of thought of was that each episode we would put on a movie. It can be a new movie. It can be an old movie. Um, and we just let the movie play in the background. So we're not sitting kind of with no movement or lights. Um, what's today's movie, man? Uh, Toy Story 1. The Toy original. Story 1. Yeah, this movie brings back uh, some memories for me. So, like I said, I'm Scott. This is Travis. Uh, I think what I want to do today is just kind of get out there, like, who and what we are. I'd like people to understand, you know, some background stuff about us, um, just kind of get to know us, and I think it'll evolve from there what do you think sounds good to me so you and me it's interesting i i actually think that we are pretty similar dudes um but we come from different places where are you from so i grew up in eastern washington very rural town um one high school two middle schools um a few elementary schools uh, which is super interesting to me because I grew up probably we couldn't be much farther away geographically because I grew up in a very small town in North Carolina, one high school, two middle schools. Um, there was one high school for the entire county. My mom worked at the high school, so there was basically nothing I could do to not um, – get in not not necessarily like get in trouble but there's really nothing i could do to not be seen um or heard by anybody in the county did you did you have a similar experience to that was a similar vibe definitely anything you did uh i mean everybody knew within 10 minutes it seemed like a very small town uh but i had a very opposite situation i didn't really have parents uh in my life but i didn't do anything bad. I was a pretty good kid. So let's, let's actually talk about that because I think that we, that's super interesting to me. Um, because I, I think that we're similar in a lot of ways. I think that we, we kind of act the same. I think we, I think we think the same a lot, but I know the reason I'm asking these questions, cause I know that we're different in that type of way. And I think I'm, I'm always super interested about people's stories um, so I'll, I guess I'll start with me a little bit. Um, I, I'm the opposite. I did. My parents are still married and they've, uh, gosh, this will be their 38th year married. Um, dad, super blue collar worker, um, didn't go to college. Uh, he, he didn't drop out of high school, but grandfather was not a great dude. And so my dad took care of his siblings. Um, and I think that's where I get a lot of my 
that just kind of like blue collar work ethic. Mom, on the other hand, was really totally different. She came from a a really solid family. She went to college. She has several degrees. Um, And so I have this really interesting dynamic in me that's kind of like blue collar work ethic, but go be a dreamer. And I think that we seem to kind of jive on that. So what, why do you think that is? A, do you feel that same way? And B, why do you think that is? Yeah, I don't know what it is that the second I met you, we just got along. Um, And like you said, we couldn't come from two different areas of the States yet probably very similar upbringings and uh which is is, i don't know it's just crazy to me it's awesome i think because uh it shows i guess what makes america the best place on earth yeah i mean i think that it goes for me it goes to show that i think that there's a there's a clear stereotype i think of the south in the states Right. right but i if I would have not known, other than maybe your sports affiliations, I probably would have said that you that you came from the South. And I, I was even subject to what I'm calling my own stereotype. Like, I would have thought the same thing. But I, the point that I'm making there is that I think that it's, it, that it's everywhere. Every stereotype is everywhere. There's small country bumpkin in all corners of the country. There's, you know, there's big city people and all there's that type of vibe in all corners of the country. And so I think that's one thing that we really kind of jived on um, from the beginning. But tell me about I'm super interested in um, kind of like post high school and what like what high school was like for you and then through high school kind of maybe to present day. What would you say is like, you know. Just give me some of the timeline there. All right, so high school, I, I really only went to freshman year. Um, my grandparents were raising me at this point. My parents were just not in the picture. Um, I had so much freedom, and uh, I was a good kid. I didn't do drugs. I didn't do anything crazy. I was very into riding dirt bikes, into BMX, just into being outside, sports. And uh, I... Long story short, I had a full-time job as a as a young teenager working for my uncle. So uh, I missed a lot of school and uh, at a great agricultural school. My, the superintendent there, acting superintendent, was also the shop teacher. So he's seen a lot of... Uh, what was that job? What, what was the job that you did? Oh, my uncle. Owned his, he owns owner-operator of a body shop there in the small town. I was like, so we have that in common. We have at least like... A young intro to cars. I love cars. At the very least. And racing. We had an open wheel modified too. Yeah. Yeah. Which are so cool. I mean, that's, I grew up on dirt track. And so, uh, yeah, that's awesome to me. I'm super interested in that. I didn't work in a body shop, um, but I was obviously around my own race cars, go-karts, a lot of open wheel modifieds in the South. Um, So that's pretty awesome to me. Sometimes I wish I had worked in a body shop more i worked actually um one of my good high school friends her dad owned this fabric importing business and so i would like basically piss off a school early (laughs) my junior and senior year and i'd go and work in his warehouse which was the most badass thing because i was like 
I don't know, I was 17, 16, 17. Um, and I, yeah, I was making like $9 an hour. And I thought that was just the coolest thing ever. Yeah, I mean, when you're 16, 17 and you got 100 bucks, 200 bucks in your pocket every week because you're working, that's right. amazing. You're and that right. was like a couple hundred dollars that nobody could tell me like what the fuck to do with. Right? Yeah, you're buying like three pizza sticks at lunch. Yeah, <laughs> zero <laughs> real responsibilities. Um, I don't know. That to me is, and I think people always talk about this, but that, that to me is, I wouldn't say high school was my prime I feel like I'm really kind of getting into my prime now. We can talk about that later, but I feel the same way. High school was definitely I knew at the time that the any problems I had weren't real problems and I just had a blast. Like when I wasn't in school, man, I had a blast. I loved being around the racetrack. I loved like making this I knew I wasn't making like big boy money, but I was making my own money and that's all that mattered. Um and I could just go racing in the weekends and have to worry about like paying any real bills. I don't know. It's that first taste of freedom, I believe. And, uh, and just you kind of understand the power of money and what it could do for you. You could yeah. go places. You could do things now that you didn't have to ask for money. You had yeah. your own. So, um, yeah, that was a great feeling, too. And I was addicted to that feeling at a very, very young age. I, I think you – I think a lot of people get addicted to that feeling. I, I think a lot of people get addicted to it and like don't ever let it go. Maybe they, maybe they you know achieve kind of like a mediocre status of that, but that I don't. I, you know, I think people put a lot of weight on it in in the wrong way. I think it's definitely worth some weight in our lives. But you're right; it is an addicting feeling. Of, it's just a distraction. Yeah. I, and I think for me, it was addicting more in the way of freedom, not of needing really more money, but of just wanting to always have my own kind of freedom to go and do. Um, which brings me to another point. I, I think another way that we seem to get along really well is that we we kind of just do whatever we want. And we were just talking about this, actually, before we started the show. Um uh, you were asking if I had told Megan about this, and I said, oh, I think so, but I think also kind of like I'm just going to do what I want. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Which is good and bad because uh, it creates – it's definitely created some problems for me. Um, I don't know. What's your thought? I had asked the question initially just because I'm trying to – you're a friend. I consider you a friend, so I, I would like to know the character of the girl that you've been spending so much time with. So I was asking <laughs> – was she supportive? Was she cool about it? Because if she wasn't, I was going to be like, yeah, I don't really like her that much. Yeah, no, I mean, I think she's supportive. I, I think for sure. I mean, uh, I think that I've got a lot of people that are supportive in my life. But I, I guess the one thing about me is that, and I'll admit this, this is this is totally sometimes in my favor. And a lot of times it's a fault is that I, I don't, I, I like it. Like, you know, I guess, um, it's nice to have. That's a feeling that I want to have to be supported. And I think we all need that. And I probably don't admit how much I do need that feeling. But at the end of the day, I'm still going to do what I want to do yeah. most of the time. I, I, you know, and, um, I don't know if, if you relate to that. I feel like you do. Oh, I feel like I'm so wild right now in my life. Like I just do absolutely whatever I want. Kind of 
a little too too much freedom, honestly. Like I need more discipline in my life. Uh, you think so? Yes and no, because I do think that it makes me what I am, and I think you know. Um, at the end of the day, I'm not a bad person, uh, but I am. I don't think it makes very, us bad people. Very spontaneous, very heavy into new things, and then kind of get burnt out by it quickly, and onto onto the next thing that catches my eye. I think it can make me sometimes inconsiderate, for sure. Right. And that's a that's probably a fault. Really um, hard to be grateful when you have so much things to distract you all the time. Well, I, well, okay, and, and we'll get to this later. I've come through a point in my life where I'm super grateful for everything. Um, but I also, um, I, I, I don't always consider others feelings. Right. And I want, I'm trying to do that more. I'm trying to be much more cognizant of that. Um, but I, you know, sometimes I have, that's one thing about me that sometimes has to be done. It's not that I don't care about people or that I don't, or that I can't be compassionate to the way they feel. It's just sometimes I'm so oblivious of that that I have to be told. Well, I've actually had this conversation a lot. Uh, young men are just, we're built to like conquer. That's just what we do. So right. we don't even take the time. Empathy is not even in our brains yet. It hasn't been like taught to us. And I see it all the time. I, I make jokes. I say that, uh, like, I see these young guys, and I, I call them little psychopaths because they're just running around conquering, working, doing right. whatever. They don't they don't take a second guess to think about a girl's heart that they broke or whatever. They're just going, 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 or you know, and uh, or even family members. Maybe maybe we lose touch after a while because we're so busy with everything. We just don't right. call quite as much. Um, I struggle with that a lot. Me too. Calling people. Yeah. I've tried to get better, but I'm definitely not. I'm not great at it. It's just the little things, like just showing the uh, showing the love. We just lack the ability to kind of. I think it just comes with time with a lot of men. We get good at it probably in our 40s or late 30s. Right. Well, it's interesting because I was listening to this thing the other day. I was listening to um, Dax Shepard's podcast, Armchair Expert, and he had on Leno. And after Leno left. Um, they were talking to he, – he was talking to his co-host, Monica. They do like a fact check section, which I think is really cool at the end. Um, and she was talking about how when they were setting up – when they were trying to get a hold of Leno, um, Dax had just sent this, you know, like shot in the dark email to Jay about, will you come be on my show, thinking Jay was going to be – Busy or whatever, because the dude still he still tours like two hundred and ten dates every year for comedy. For comedy, yeah, wow. Leno does two hundred. He said last year or maybe it was this year. He's he's got two hundred and ten dates for the calendar year, which blows my mind. Um, another thing that blows my mind, which is kind of irrelevant, is that he has never spent a penny of his Tonight Show money. He, all the money he's ever had is off of stand up, which is crazy. But the point is, they were um, they were trying to get him on a show, and they sent this email, and then he called them, and she was talking about how she almost didn't pick it up because she thought it was just a spam number, and she picked it up, and he was like, "Hey, this is Jay. Like, I, I I'd love to come on your show," and she was like, "Is this a joke?" And he was like, "No, this is Jay Leno. I'd love to come be on your show." And she said all of the correspondence 
from that conversation until he actually got on the show, like how many ever months later, he called. No texts, no emails from secretaries, no nothing. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, to me, Leno is kind of like a guy that I grew up with. Um, and he, I guess in the car world, he's kind of a hero of mine. But Same. Yeah, I absolutely love his car collection. I think it's awesome. The fact that dude can be that, you know, gigantic in, in Hollywood and... And still have that much compassion. And just call, yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, man, if this guy... If this guy can be that way, I have to get better because I'm not I'm not doing shit comparatively. I mean, you know, I might be relatively busy in my own world, but well, I'm sure if we called Jared and I, he probably wouldn't come on this podcast. He probably would not come on this podcast, but maybe one day I would I would put a hundred bucks on the fact that he was not always that way. I bet he was quite a bit like us, or maybe even worse when he was younger. Maybe I'm sure he was. That, that's something you learn with time, with family, making your own family. I think. Right. Okay. So all right, let's go back. Post high school, um, what 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 happened then? When you eventually you got out of your little town? Yeah, I, right at eighteen, I joined the Marine Corps. Um, kind of, I only had a GD. I had a, a couple weld certs. Uh, Welding's like, awesome. I got welding certified too. It yeah, was, it's great. But it, state, so. but it wasn't. I like doing it. It's like art. It's like something on the yeah, side. Yeah, I like yeah, making yeah. stuff, but I don't want to do that for a living. It's not big enough for our minds, I think. Yeah. If I was making some part that I was designing or engineering myself and then I was going to patent it or something, that's something I could get passionate about. Yeah. But when I'm working for somebody and just welding parts all day, that's just yeah, not fun for me. It's not – I don't – and I don't mean to undermine welding because I love it too. It's It's one of my favorite things, but – it's not intellectual enough for us, I think. Yeah, every time I'm welding, I'm I got my hood on and I have my headphones in. I'm listening to Joe Rogan yeah. or something, you know, or music or whatever. By the way, this podcast, this episode is basically just um, a love fest that I have uh, for Travis. <laughs> um, no, but I, I I agree. I think that I have. I, I was talking um, to a friend the other day about this. I've actually talked to a few people about this, and I. They asked, we were talking about like what is a quality we need to be around people long term. And I said, I need a high intellectual capacity. And it's not, you know, I, 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 one person was like, that's kind of a dickish thing to say. And maybe, maybe it is, but it's, it's true, right? No, I don't think it's a dickish thing to say. There's been times in my life where uh, I really just wanted a really hot, dumb girlfriend to hang around with <laughs> yeah. for a while. And, you know, that's not who you want to marry, but that's... Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, I think we've all been there. I've like I've dated plenty of people that were super cute, but... Just didn't jive mentally? Well, I mean, I think you, you just think about, like, what you want long-term, and you you can pick you can pick those bigger views of the world out in small conversations yeah right well a girl might think that we're silly for liking cars so much and that that's stupid and that we know so much about cars and that it's a waste of brain space oh man i can't tell you how many people are so disinterested in my involvement and like affair with cars i came home from afghanistan and i could have bought a brand new car i'd like 30 grand in savings and I 
Instead, I took this 79 Dodge pickup that I bought for two grand and I dumped $20,000 into it. I put an engine. I just wanted to just fix. That's that's how I grew up. You just fix up. Fixing up yeah. something old is way cooler than buying something new. I still have my very first car. It's a 95 Isuzu Trooper. Granted, it's a rock buggy now. Like, I completely rebuilt it. Um, tore out the undercarriage, com- like completely custom suspension, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, but the same way I, I was not, so this is another, I think, interesting, I, I, I think the thing that's interesting about the dynamic that we have to me is that we, we have so much that's similar, but also so different. Right. Right. Because I think that I'm super interested in people that have different stories than me. And I think that's another thing that kind of leads, cause to me, when, when a lot of people hear, I've had a lot of people tell me or kind of iterate that in their minds, intellectual just means straight up book smart, but it's so much, it can be anything it can be. And I, and I think that's, that's what's the most interesting to me about people in my life is learning new things and different, um, experiences that I haven't had. And your experience being overseas is completely different than mine. Um, so I want to hear a little bit about that. Um, <clears throat> I joined the Marine Corps, uh, August, 2008, uh, at the end, I shipped off, uh, you go to San Diego for your little three month deal. I graduated right before Thanksgiving, come home. And then so what is, is that what's San Diego? 29 Palms? Uh, no, it's literally right by the airport. It's MCRD San Diego. Oh, okay. Yeah. Marine Corps recruit depot. And, uh, you spend your, th- your three months there. It's absolutely the most insane thing you'll ever do in your life. I don't think, I mean, that it's just so cool. You're, you go from being this wild high school kid right. doing whatever the hell you want. Right. To now you got dudes screaming in your face, telling you what to do 24 seven. And you're absolutely you're not Travis anymore. You're not yeah. Scott anymore. You're re- you're a recruit. Right. You're just trying to be a Marine. Was that hard? Because I, another thing about me is I have huge problem with authority. Massive I did too. Problem. And I, and so many people say that, uh, they couldn't do it because of that. And I, I would have thought that would have been the first thing that got me kicked out of there or in trouble because I definitely did talk back, and I'm, I still am pretty well. If there's something I really believe in, I'll stand up for it. I right. still will. I don't care if it's unpopular. So, um, But, man, you got 70, 80 other guys going through the same exact thing with you for the same exact purpose. Right. And at the time, we are at war. Yeah. So there's just this mutual respect that every kid – you see kids in there that were playing football at Texas Tech, and they – blew out their knee and lost their scholarship. So now they're there a year right. later after their knee gets fixed. Or you got, we had the the Monroy brothers, these two Hispanic kids. They're kind of a little heavy set, but they played soccer their whole life. So they could outrun everybody. Right. It was crazy. And so you just have this whole, people from New York. I'm from Eastern Washington. I've never even been on a plane until I flew to boot camp. So I don't know. The This is the whole world. Like I'm seeing a whole new, I might as well be on another planet. Right, right, right. It's crazy. Yeah, that, so that's another crazy thing to me is that you went in during war like you went in knowing you were for sure going to get deployed i mean i mean I most likely i yeah. would say 
Yeah, my friends uh, before, we don't know anything, we're young. They threw like a little party like, hey, just in case, you know. <laughs> right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that was just boot camp. That wasn't even anything, uh, yeah, so it's funny. The things you don't know, you're just young and dumb. So where, on your deployments, where all, where all were you at? Uh, so I was there uh, 2010, 11, and 12. Um, Afghanistan. Afghanistan, all Afghanistan. Never went to Iraq. Um Really just, uh, cause I had a friend also would have been around the same, I don't know where in Afghanistan, but I, I also had a Marine friend. Um, his name's Doug Rivers and he was also Afghanistan right around the same. It would have been the exact same time. I don't know if it's, I'll have to get in touch with him to see where, um, but to your point, you know, I, I think it's interesting, like you you talk about when you came home and you could have gone out and bought a brand new car or I don't know, maybe had a new house, but you know, that was like, that's what I would venture to say. Most of those dudes did. Yeah. A lot of them come home and, uh, buy a Mustang, Yeah, <laughs> you know, finance a, or put 20 grand on a $40,000 Roush or something that's, you know, I've got a Mustang by the way. So I'm, I'm, wait, what's your, what's your, well, we'll say American. What's your American sports car of choice? Um, honestly, a dream car would be a Corvette. A vet. Yeah. The new vet. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, he, I had a conversation with somebody the other day. If you hear the smacking in the background, that's my dog. Um, he's being super rude right now and, like, smacking on a bone. Um, I had a conversation with somebody the other day about the – they said that they loved the new vet. We we so we had gone to this show and we saw the new vet was there. That's the first time that that we had seen it. And it's legitimately a sports like a a supercar. Oh, it's phenomenal. It's so different. I mean, it's yeah. it is. I don't say this much about cars. I mean, I think you know me at least this much that I. It this car is sex on wheels. Like no, it is beautiful. pure amazing. But also It's I, still American, which is so cool. For sure. Well and I, I kinda think too that you have to see if you're gonna love that car, you also kinda have to love what it has been. Right? Like the I, I think it'd be you'd be hard pressed to find any car guy, at least in America, that doesn't think whether you're a Corvette fan or not, um I'm admittedly historically a Ford guy, but the the Corvette is like pound for pound the best sports car ever made, in I'm, my opinion. I'm pretty sure it's Leno's favorite car too. Jay loves Corvettes. I, probably. I mean, this thing has won Le Mans countless times. It's won so many IMSA championships, and so I my my point was. You're not really allowed to love the new car if you don't love the old car and the legacy that it built. Because the new car would be nothing without the old car. Yeah, without a 66 Corvette. Yeah, any with a, of them. With a, with a big block in it. I mean, it's just a ridiculous car. Yeah, I mean, we're on the C8 now. Is The mid-engine one is the C8. Um, but yeah, that thing's awesome. Uh, the other one that I saw is... And this is probably another aspect of our show is that we're just going to go off on these tangents. Um, but I saw the new GT 500 for the first time and I, so I'm a, I'm a GT 350 guy. Um, that's a car that I have back home and I 
I love it. I think it is one of the best American-made sports cars of all time. Not even it's not even necessarily the car that I'm in love with itself. It's the motor. It's a 5.2 liter flat plane V8, which has only ever really been put in European cars. It's the first American car that we really have, modern American car that can rev to almost 9,000 RPMs, which you've only ever seen in European cars. That's why they have that crazy exotic sound when they rev up. And this thing, the first time I drove it, I used to have a 5.0 Mustang. I had a 2015 5.0 GT. And I was like, this thing's amazing. You know, it's got 400, this is 435 horsepower. Like, this is plenty enough. And then I got behind the wheel of the GT350, and I was like, man, my car feels like a piece. <laughs> and so I got rid of, I got, I got rid of, uh, I, well, I, the excuse that I made to get rid of the Mustang was that I was going to do the mature thing. I was getting ready to move out here. And I had him with me. Uh, my dog, Abraham, is a great Dane. And I was like, he can't be carting around town in, a, in the back of a Mustang. So I got rid of the Mustang, got the Jeep. And then I was like, so I should be clear here that I've never been addicted to drugs. But my analogy is like, I would be like <laughs> scratching like a meth addict when every time I saw a GT350 because I was like, I have to have this car. Um, Funny n- side note here. Uh, Scott Scott gets a little hammered down the street and asks me to drive his Jeep home because he's going to stay and keep drinking. And I get in the seat of this thing, and it literally feels like I'm in a stock car. The steering wheel position, the seat, the way the, <laughs> the back of the seat was, everything. It was not anywhere near a normal person's driving position. Like, But there's a reason for that. 100%. And it just... I, I instantly knew what it was, and I said, I texted you. I think as soon as I got back, I was like, "That your seat position and the steering wheel cracked me up." It's just like, yeah, just literally just like you're sitting in a stock car, and uh, I thought that was funny. See, okay, you can ask me about that if you want to. Should we talk? Well, I guess we have to talk about that at some point. Absolutely, yeah. Um, okay, so I guess a little bit of my background from the small town. Uh, we'll, we'll, since we're kind of getting into that, as I came up. I'm big into racing. Um, I still race. That's why the seat was like that because that's how I've been trained to sit. I have people, everybody says that, and I'm not a short dude. Um, no, it wasn't but, a position where I thought it actually fit me perfect. We're about the same height, so I sat in it. It was exactly the way I would sit if I was going to race the Jeep around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very, <laughs> it's very close to the steering wheel, and I've had, I've had girls get in my cars over the years that are like. Five three, and they're like, "Oh my god, this is so close to the wheel." <laughs> and I'm about, we're about six six one. I'm six one on a good day um, when I'm like lengthened out. Um, but I, yeah, I sit really close to the wheel. It's because of that ninety degree angle that I have to have in my arms. Um, and I was demonstrating to somebody the other day. If you put, if you're listening, uh, which is was probably zero of you, but if you are listening, if you kind of put your arms out and you, you stick, you put your elbow, uh, your forearm and your bicep, like a kind of obtuse, like more than a 90 degree angle. And you, and you push down on your palm, your forearm does so much of the work there. But if you have yourself at a 90 degree angle, then your biceps do more of the work and you can react stronger. That's why we that's why we sit like that in the race car because you have you have a quicker response time, you have more control and a lot less fatigue over time. A lot you got less more fatigue. muscles doing the job than just Which again, I drive, I do endurance racing. 
um, which we have our longest race is 25 hours. So, and we don't do that the whole time. We switch off, but still, you have to drive. I don't know. We do two and a half hour stints, and I'll probably do four or five of those throughout the course of 25 hours. So, was was the dream in your career ever to be in NASCAR, be a stock car racer? No, I never wanted to be NASCAR. I think um, I've got friends and family that work in and throughout NASCAR, and I love it. I love going to it. I love watching it. Um, <clears throat> but I was never, I never, outside of dirt, I'd love dirt track oval racing, but I always wanted to do, I enjoyed the, the road courses so much more. And you kind of have this point in your career, you get up through go-karts and you come through the modifieds, and then you kind of hit this point where there's like two major things that happen you either are just really really good and somebody picks you up or you have a lot of money um either way racing is so expensive it's It's ridiculous so expensive i mean now to to, for a kid to be in a go-kart for a season i mean it's probably 10 grand for like a seven-year-old at least it's crazy at least that's bare minimum yeah talking about driving that's why about it track yeah yeah all those fees race fees tires you're buying that's probably with a used car i mean a brand new open class go-kart just the chassis is like six grand it's it's insane um the other thing that happens is you either decide if you want to be an oval track racer or if you want to go the sports car route and i never really did just i don't know oval track asphalt never really did it for me um I don't really know if I would be good at it or not. Um, now I probably would be terrible at it. But I just, I, to me, you know, the epitome racing came from Europe. And I did, you know, through my younger years, I've done uh, quite a bit of road course racing in Europe, um, sports car racing. And that's kind of just always been where my heart is. And I think that it's, I think it's more relatable because we're driving, you know, you see those cars and you're like, man, I could go buy that car at the dealership. Um, I don't really know what the point was there, but that's for me. Racing is, uh, I grew up on dirt bikes, two wheels, loved it. Um, Mm -hmm. and if there's two different types, really, you can do, uh, indoor, which is real tight, finicky. I like outdoor way more wide open cross country type stuff. Um, Eastern Washington, there's I, the town I grew up in has sand dunes, so um, everybody had these jeeps with paddle tires, um, yeah. sand rails, right? Dirt bikes, quads. That was just. You ever go to Glamis? You ever been to yeah. Glamis? Two thousand and uh, I I got home from Afghanistan the last time. I, it was around. Let's see. So I get back around. Uh, it was in 2011 sometime. Anyway, the New Year's of 11 and 12, I had a friend from Moses Lake come up and visit because I was gonna, getting ready to go back to Afghanistan at right. the end of January in 2012. So we lived in Escondido, California. I had a dirt yeah, bike yeah. and a four-wheeler. Yeah, yeah. We load that thing up, me, him, and my wife at the time. I'm divorced now. We we go uh, go to Glamis and just stay the night under the stars for three nights. And, uh, yeah, 
Everybody said I needed a paddle tire. I had a 450 Yamaha fuel injected, and absolutely did not. All it did was do wheelies the entire time. <laughs> I couldn't keep the front tire down. It was crazy. That's amazing. So. I went to Glamis for the first time last year, um, and I went with some guys that are they're builders. They're off-road racers out in California, which is where most of those guys are from. Um, and these dudes had some um, turbo UTVs, turbo side-by-sides. And it was so much fun. And it was crazy that the, the community that they set up out there. I mean, I, you know, I'd seen this stuff at the racetrack before because nowadays everybody, it used to be when, when I was little and would go to the racetrack, like nobody had buses. Nobody had, nobody stayed at the track. I mean, your car and stuff stayed there, but everybody would like leave and go to a hotel. There was no Airbnb at the time, of course. And now, Every Joe Schmo has a bus, you know, like or at least a giant RV, and that's how it is out there too. It's like, then that's not even racing. I mean, there's a lot of celebrities and a lot of big time people that go out there now, but everybody's got these massive RVs and these huge toy haulers. The money is insane. It's right? crazy. Yeah. I, I saw this buggy, this um, yeah, it's like big sand rail buggy, and I asked this guy. I mean, this thing was, like, tight. It was the whole frame was powder-coated, like this beautiful orange color. I mean, it was maxed out. And this thing had a supercharged LS V8 on it. And I was talking to the guy, and, and, and that's what these dudes do. They build these things for clients. And I was like, how much, you know, how much you got in this thing? And he's like, oh, this thing's about 98. And I was like, holy shit. And he was like, that one's for sale if you want it over there. And I was like how much is that one? He was like, Oh, that one's about one thirty-five, And I, I was like, like, yeah, all these fun, these guys make these Funkos and they're financing them. I mean, people are buying them for a hundred grand. It's financing. crazy. That is gnarly to me. People are just buying them up and they got toy haulers out there where half of it's like a heavy yeah. thing, but you can load a buggy in the back and then you can tip, put a little tip out out and sleep in the thing. Toy haulers is bigger than our, than we're a small race team, but toy haulers bigger than our, trailer that we used to go to the actual i mean it's it's, it's insane no, it is crazy the money uh i just think in anything the financing has gotten better too like yeah they weren't financing stuff like that banks weren't financing stuff like that back in the day you can you can get anything financed nowadays nowadays everything's financed yeah i so it's interesting with you talk about the motorcycle stuff because my dad that's how i ended up on four wheels because my dad was a motocross racer he was semi-pro and he used to race the outdoor series, oh, nice. um, and uh, on the East Coast. And I always—that's all I wanted to do was race motorcycles. Um, and Mom was like, "Nope, nope, nope," because Dad got hurt really bad a few times. And then finally, I guess they thought I would just quit asking because I was—I don't know—like four or five, and I just kept asking and kept asking and kept asking and finally my dad was like okay well what if we put him on four wheels and give him a full face helmet and so i got my first go-kart at uh i guess i was like six six or seven um and it was just it was a massive piece of shit like we couldn't afford a brand new car this thing was a piece of junk but i loved it this my and my grandfather um i would go down there and spend time with them and they had this like vacant lot beside their house 
And I don't know why he had this tractor because they didn't have a lot of land, but he had like a legit Ford tractor. Uh, not a big lawnmower, like an actual tractor with a giant box plate on the back of it. And he took this thing out in this field and he cut me a little like dirt oval and banked it in everything. <laughs> and it it blew my mind because at this time I was never really that close with my grandfather. And I think this was his way of like trying to be in my life. And I didn't think about it then, but now it was like the sweetest thing. He cut this dirt track. So I had basically a private dirt track. Um, and that's how I, that's how I learned how to drive. I would go down there and just turn laps for hours and I would run the thing out of gas. And my grandmother would, she'd be like, why don't you come in and get something to eat? And I was like, be like, Nope, where's the gas can? And I'd fill this thing back up and I look like a, I was so small, looked like a bobblehead with a helmet on. But man, I would just turn laps in like the ninety degree southern, like muggy ass heat. And that's that's how I learned how to race. That's where I started right there. I, I think the way to get to a, a grandfather is just you found the thing that he loved and he seemed that you liked it too, you know, the the racing thing. Cause uh my grandfather, I thought he hated me growing up. He was so strict, just never talked to me unless it was telling me to do something. And right. He's a military man, and so was his brother. And they joined around, you know, they're in Vietnam. Yeah. So I come home from boot camp, and all of a sudden these two guys love me. Yeah. They're talking to me. They want to know everything. Because you're them. Now I'm... Now you're them. Now I've earned the right to speak and be heard. And uh, it was a cool feeling. Are they still around? Do you still have any grandparents living? My grandmother's alive. Got Uh, one grandma. Me too. Yeah, my grandfather grandfather passed away uh, about a year ago. Yes, November. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. I lost um, both of my grandfathers died when I was pretty young. Um, my mom's mom passed in uh, I guess that was twenty ten maybe, two thousand nine or maybe shit. Gosh, no, it was or I guess it was two thousand eight. Um, Dad's mom's still alive though, and so I get to still get to spend time with her. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know grandparents that time is it was it was weird for me I never really had like a huge connection with it was only my mom's mom that I had a huge connection with and I never had I I meet people all the time that are like grandparents are everywhere in their lives and I that's just an interesting dynamic to me because I it's not a bad thing there was no like animosity but you know I think your parents were just more there so they weren't yeah and we traveled a lot too um you know i was really i was out of the house at 18 um which i guess we both were right um so i haven't been i haven't really lived at home in gosh 20 years almost that's crazy it's crazy that i haven't lived at home in almost 20 years yeah for me i just was doing the math you know it's been it's been 12 for me yeah, I'm 30 now. Yeah. So, uh, I yeah. will. Cause I'm, I've considered going back, you know, I'm kind of in a, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we talked, so we talked about this a little bit. Um, so what was it that brought you to Phoenix? We're in Phoenix, by the way, everybody. We're in Phoenix in central Phoenix. We live in, in Phoenix. Uh, we live in the best part of Phoenix, actually. We have a very blessed life. We yeah. definitely do. Um, so that's how we met. I guess we should say we met because we live in the same apartment community. 
Um, and it's badass. We live in a brand new building. We're certainly fortunate. Um, it's a higher end building for sure. It is a high end building. It's in, it's in central Phoenix. I'm not going to say the name of the building, but it's on Camelback and seventh street. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it's, yeah, it's cool. I think this is such a great part of town. We'll get to that in a minute though. So tell me what brought you to Phoenix. Cause I think that's so, uh, when I, I joined the Marine Corps. I meet this girl and uh, end up marrying her young. You know, in the military, a lot of people get married kind of young. Yep. Uh, so at 20, I'm married to this girl, and uh, we stay together from that point until uh, I get out. I'm 26, I believe, when I get out. About to be 20, like right before I turn 27. Right. So uh, get out, move here, and. Uh, that's why I'm here. Unfortunately, we end up getting divorced a year later. We don't have to get into that. It doesn't really matter. Um, but I stuck around because I, I I fell in love with golf. Yeah. And the weather here is perfect. And there's like 300 golf courses here or something crazy. So I was I was going to ask you that. And I had one of the questions that I was going to ask is, like, what's one of the things that makes you feel, I guess, the most inspired or the most driven? Because for me, it's obvious. It's being – it's in a race car. But you and I have talked about this a little bit, um, and I'm super interested in that part of your life because you kind of came out of at it. First of all, you came into that to the game of golf pretty late, and yeah. you've gotten really fucking good at it. And like, just a, I have an addiction problem. It runs in my family. I had two addicts for parents, so I've just channeled my addiction into things that aren't a negative, I guess. When did you discover that you? liked the game of golf so how what was the instance that this happened i've always liked it okay never had the money to play it never had the money to do it my father was in and out of my life he'd come around uh my grandparents house he loved tiger woods my grandpa loved golf i think he liked tiger woods but i think he kind of hated him too yeah a little he like he'd kind of root for him to choke sometimes in tournaments kind of kind of funny or he wouldn't really root for him to choke he'd kind of just uh I guess, uh, which everybody kind of has done that with Tiger at some point in their life. Like yeah. everybody has been a hater and a lover of Tiger yeah. at some point. I do think my grandpa was just a goof too. Like instead of saying Kyle Bush, he'd say Bile Kush takes the lead. Yeah, like he'd just say goofy yeah. stuff like that all right, the time. Right, right, yeah. Right. So I don't know. He could have just been weird. Um, so I get I, I found out I have like this uh, benign brain tumor in my head, and I'm in the Marine Corps, and I'm a stud. I'm like tearing it up, doing yeah. pretty good. Honestly, plan on doing like 30 years, doing great. You're gonna be a lifer for sure. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I'd already been in eight years. There's no reason to get out. Right, right. Um, so I'm kind of going through some medical treatment and stuff, and I don't have to even really go to work. I just have to call and tell them I'm alive every morning. Right, my boss. And my captain at the time was kind of like, yeah, you, you need to do something. Yeah. So uh gave me an old set of golf clubs. I started playing golf. And uh, literally, I didn't think about being sick. I didn't think about, am I getting out of the Marine Corps soon? What am I going to do with my life? I didn't think about nothing. All I could think about was, I want to hit this ball really far. Right, right. right. <laughs> and uh, it's just been an escape for me. Which is such a like male-dominant thing get ball hit hard right (laughs) but then i uh that quickly went away and i quickly wanted to be uh good i wanted to actually shoot low scores and i wanted to 
I hated being able to hit a good shot every now and then. I wanted to hit good shots all the time. Right. Or at least string them together. And I'm not. Golf is the most humbling thing, man. There's times where I'll go out and I'll, I can't find I can't find my game yeah. for the life of me. And then there's times I go out and play and I think, man, if I could have gotten into this five years sooner, I'd probably be a pro right now. Like, yeah, it's yeah. crazy. So, But it's just... For me, it's been that thing. And, and when I'm on the golf course, especially now that I'm a decent player, if I get paired up with some random people, they don't know that I grew up poor or that I was in the Marine Corps. They don't care. All they right. see is that I'm a good golfer. And right. they assume, I, I, I assume the assumption is they think that I came from money or that I grew up playing or that I... Yeah, I, because of growing up with golf, what I think a lot of people still... It's, it's gotten more accessible, but it's still like the rich dude's game. 100%. Yeah, it's not cheap. Um it's an expensive thing to do. It's an expensive hobby for sure. And, yeah. uh, you know, I don't drive a ex- extremely nice car because I choose to spend four or $500 a month on golf. It's just right. what I've chosen to do with my life. So, okay. So you get out here, you get into golf and you tell me kind of the process of you deciding that you wanted to pursue this at, at least like what would you call it, like a pro-am level or because i know that i know <clears throat> i guess i just wanted to not look back and say what if so i just tried to put myself i joined a men's league uh try to play in these like they're not high-end tournaments i can't afford to play in these tournaments with you know three four thousand dollar bonds right right like right that. so just a little is that stuff is that what there. the fees are for these things is that how much yeah, like if you want to try out for the for Corn Ferry Tour, which is the amateur circuit that gets you into the PGA Tour, it's yeah. five grand a tournament. Wow! So, and that's just a, if you don't make it. So these dudes, is it? Is it? Where do these dudes get that money? Are they sponsored? Do those yeah, guys a lot of those sponsored? guys at that point they're getting. Uh, there's guys out there that are, especially if you're good and you don't come from money. There's guys out there that'll help you out and pay your entry fees, and then for the first year or two that you're pro, I'm guessing they're going to take a cut or right. whatever if you ever make it or however yeah, that's yeah. going to work. So, huh? I, I've I've got really no. It's just like racing. I mean, you just go yeah. out looking for sponsors. It's a hustle. That's what's so interesting to me is I mean, people think that it's interesting to me that it's so similar in that way because I never knew. I just I just thought that you. I guess I really don't know what I thought. I knew there was an amateur tour, but I didn't know I didn't know that it was that expensive. And well, people think the same thing about racing because we're not NASCAR. I mean, people know that racing is expensive, but I don't think they realize how expensive it is for, you know. Yeah, well, I feel like a lot of people think you can only make money racing if you're in NASCAR, which is not true. There's so many no, other yeah, circuits not out there. true at all. Yeah. Well, and I think that we, you know, part of our dynamic is that we we want it to be much more of a business right like we i you know i hope that i can drive until blah blah whatever age but the the conversation happened when i I, so i got into a pretty bad crash um and i was sitting with my buddy and we were kind of healing and we were talking like hey what happens if we you know right now if if we wreck and we can never drive again like we're just done but how do we stay? How do we make this thing sustainable? So we started a little team, um, and our goal is to kind of be the farm club for the bigger teams. Like we want to, we want to foster up those younger drivers, partner with a, a bigger, more established team because we're never going to be one of the big factory teams. Um, but it's it's an interesting dynamic because people talk about like pay drivers, 
that just bring money and get in the seat. And, you know, some people think they're a black mark in the sport. I happen to think that we need them. We need people like that because I would imagine, you know, the, the, it's the same way in golf. I mean, I guess you have to be to a certain level of good, but what is, so it, oh, here's the thing on the amateur tour. If you're poor and you're trying to get into anything, you got to be great. I mean, there's yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah. It's unfortunate. You got it. You can't just be good. You got to be exceptional to where they cannot deny you. I mean, but how good do these guys have to be that just, they already have the money. They just want to be there. How, how good do they have to be on the amateur? Obviously, I know you have to qualify for PGA stuff, but right. for there's the local tours too. Like there's a Pepsi tour here, and for the older guys, there's a Hooters tour here. Yeah. And uh, and the, I mean, I'm sure these guys that are playing in that local stuff, if they're doing pretty good, they're probably making six figures a year playing golf, just playing around here. Playing really, you yeah. think so? Playing Southern San Diego, playing wow. Tucson, playing uh, New Mexico, yeah. Because we don't make, I think everybody assumes that because we're we're racing, we're making all. I, I have a day job, <laughs> right? Like I, we don't make shit. I mean, racing does not pay, and until you get to be the big boys, like it does not pay. So that's interesting to me. I didn't know that you could make. I mean, I guess you could make like a small career out of. Absolutely, yeah. If you're good, there's. If you're paying five grand to enter in this tournament, and there's six seven hundred kids trying out and they get cut half of them get cut the first day whatever and it keeps going on what are the payouts for those things you know i haven't done anything big like that but i i assume it's pretty heavy so is that the next step then for you is to get on one of those you know honestly um where i'm at right now in life is uh i think i worked so hard at it that i kind of lost the love for it yeah yeah. and here lately i've just been getting out there and just enjoying it again right and i'll I'll see where it takes me but if i don't you and kevin go play together a lot right me, Wait. Kevin, and Ryan, and if I, I did find that we have two other guys live in our building. Under, under right, Kevin. right. Uh, there's a guy that did play on the pro circuit that lives here. His name's Trent, and uh, he's a great golfer. And he said it too. It's a very lonely life. You're by yourself all the time. Right. You're just grinding. You're on the range by yourself. It's a it's a life of solitude. And huh. uh, I couldn't do that. My whole life's been a life of solitude. So I'm kind of trying to break that. Uh, yeah. Make it more of a friendly thing every time I go out where it's people. It's not so competitive. It's just us going out there and having fun. Do you consider yourself introvert or extrovert? Definitely an introvert. That's interesting because I, I mean, I would like interacting with you if you didn't know you. I think I put, can put on a show. Yeah. Cause I get so weird. So I, I do the to, same thing. To, yeah. I, I, I think that I, like I can play the extrovert. Same. But I can also be happy. Like I'll come home some nights and just, I think a lot of times people think I'm out like doing something or being something or, you know, people are like, you're always doing cool stuff. I'm like, well, that's only, that's just the stuff you see. I'm just, right. I want to be at home. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be like, my dream is to have a, not a big house, just like a little house somewhere out here where, you know, like nobody can see me here <laughs> yeah you know i don't i don't know i like the solitude so it's interesting that we we kind of share that but like what do you does that drive you away from the sport of golf do you think no i think uh nothing's ever i mean i still love it i'll my clubs are sitting in my apartment i'll right. i'll pick up a club and sit there and take my 60 degree and juggle a golf ball 20 30 times and i'll do that i'll just do that three four times a day i right. just feel like i need to 
I don't know. It's weird. I I don't know if it's something I want to do for a living now, but I because I want it to be there for my mental health. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it for that, and I don't know if I need it to be anything more than that because. It gets scary sometimes when you love something so much and then you start doing it too much and then you start to fall out of love with it. For sure. When it's what you are, when that's your identity, what you love so much and what you – to fall out of love with that kind of sucks. It's like, whoa, what the hell do I do now? I don't don't even want to do this and that's all I've really known. Yeah. No, I I mean I I totally agree with that because I I don't know that I would – it's easy to say – I try to see it from both sides because sitting here when I have to have a day job to keep kind of my quality and standard of life, I'm like, you know what? I would, I wouldn't want to race because I know dudes that do that. I know dudes that have all the money in the world and can go do that all over the world. And it's for that reason, it's never been a challenge for them. And so they, they don't love it as much. I also think because of that, they don't have to fight for it as much. So they're never, all those guys that I know like that never will be champions. They've never right. won championships. They never will be championships. And I've won, I've never won like a huge, like all pro gold standard championship, but I've won pro am championships. And to me, that's, that's great. Like I still had to fight for that. Right. And I've won some races against the big, like the big dudes, so I know that the talent's there. But I think if I, so I see, I see that that side from them, and then I also see dudes that have been like journeyman race car drivers that they have been just doing it so long that they don't have anything else to fall back on. They don't have businesses. They don't. A lot of them didn't go to college, and so they've had to use racing as their job, and. They're great. Some of those guys have been champions because they have had to fight for it, right? Like they had to go and be the best. Like you said, like when you don't have the money, you you can you can only make it on talent and like perseverance. But those guys are so worn down, right? And it's and also like, like how much are you going to risk? How much debt are you going to put yourself in just hoping you're going to make it? Oh, a much? lot of these guys have put themselves in massive holes, and a lot of them have come out of it because they 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 know how to fight out of it. But I think they just to them they don't. They maybe don't love it as much because it's it has been for 20, 30 years, it's been their job. And so I try to appreciate that part of where I'm at with racing because I don't have to rely on it to pay the bills. But it's hard to say. Like also, if, if I woke up tomorrow and I won the lottery, like... Oh, if I did, it would be the Oh, yeah, I'd race everything I could. Same thing, yeah. You know, like, so I don't know. I try to be honest about that perspective because I say, I say right now, oh, I wouldn't want to do it for my full-time job because maybe I wouldn't love it as much. I do have to sit there and admire my life because sometimes I get worked up about what I don't have or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I know there's a lot of really famous guys that wouldn't, they would just love to be Scott and Travis sitting here and we can go out and nobody's going to bug us and we can go do whatever. And we're not super famous and we're not getting like bombarded and you know, right. We can go be invisible anywhere we want to be. And that's pretty badass. I do like that. I like to another thing I love about Phoenix. It's a big ass city compared to where I'm from. Like I don't have to run into the same person ever twice. Yeah. I, you know, I agree to an extent because one thing that I lived for, I guess it was almost 10 years I lived in Chicago 
and like downtown city proper. And one of the things that I learned is you, whether you actually interact with these people or not, I bet you if we go to the yard, like if we went, the yard is a, is a bar, a little bar restaurant up the street. Um, if we went up there and we hung around and we started and we like noticed people, right. And then we went for the next two weeks. I would bet some sum of money that we see the same people. Oh, 100%. Right? And I, Just that I, we're not paying attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, so I, and I used to, I thought about this because I used to think the same thing when I moved to Chicago. I was like, big city, I'm never going to see the same people. And then I started seeing like the same dude on the train every morning. And he had such a distinct look. He was pretty tall, dude, so he was easy. And then I started noticing, I was like, man, if I see this dude, I'd probably see this guy maybe twice a week, you know, because we got on on the same train stop. And so it was one thing if I would see him at the train stop because then subconsciously I would, like, probably get on the same train car. So that's a little bit, excuse it, but a lot of times I would see him already, like, on the train. And and then I started noticing other people. And it was because we live our lives in the same area. So my point there is I think it's really no matter how big – you're still kind of in and around the same people. I think it's just you just notice more of those people come in and out of your life because I've realized it's a pretty small town. This is a too. very heavily based uh, school town and a very heavily based like retirement community. So you do get a lot of people coming and going. Yeah, so it's a transient city, which I kind of enjoy actually. Um, I like I, it a lot too. DC was very much that way. I lived in DC for a while. DC's super transient, really sociopathic, but, <laughs> but like. Super. We, we can talk about that in another episode. Um, so, okay, I asked you about golf. I think um, is there something something that I'm curious about because I think I know the answer to this, or at least a version of it. I'm interested in is there something about you, Travis, that you think people misunderstand or misjudge about you? Yeah, I think when you first look at me, you might think that I'm, like, not a very nice person. Yeah. Like, just my look. I have a bald head. I have a beard. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I thought. It wasn't that I didn't think you were a nice person, but I I think it took us a little while. This is, like, a safe zone. Everybody that's here, we're going to be, like, super honest. It took us a while to, like, get close. The first couple times we met, I was like, damn, this dude's, like, super fucking weird. (laughs) But now that I know... Now that I know that you're a more introverted dude, um, and I've come to know you're like, it's, it's so funny because I wonder if I was like looking almost at a mirror because we have a, we have a really similar sense of humor, right? We have a really similar, we take jokes way too far. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we do. We have a really similar, like just demeanor. I think, um, you're probably one of the sweetest humans that I've met in this city but the first few times i met you i was like damn this dude he's like he's he's a little weird but i wonder (laughs) if that's because you you know you were just talking about your do you think that that has to do with like trying to put on that extroverted personality thing yeah maybe it's just uh trying to be what i think people need me to be yeah and not being me because i don't uh i that's a huge thing for a lot of people man it's scary what if what if i'm me and you guys don't like me that sucks right yeah yeah Yeah, that's a scary thing that's it's a scary thing to admit um 
30 year old man, 29 year old man when I first met you still kind of, don't want these guys to know the real me. What if they don't like the real me? If they don't like the fake me, that's cool because they still don't know who I am. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like, because I feel like we've met, it's a pretty diverse group of people that we have in our friends group. Do you feel like that's changed as you've met more or as you, as you have become more, um, I've been a lot of places being in the Marine Corps and stuff. And I've, uh, there's a reason why me and you get along. We're, yeah. we're just genuine. Yeah. Like when I hit you up or you hit me up, it's, we're, we're talking to, cause we care about each other. It's not bullshit. And there's a lot of people here that are just bullshit to make themselves look good or seem nice. Right. I don't really care about that so much. Once once you get to know me, I, I now I don't really care. I used to be like that a lot. When yeah. I moved to D.C., I felt like I had to really put on this front. I felt like that all of a sudden I was in this city with all these people that like had everything, that came from everything, and that, that I thought they were going to just fucking see right through me. That they were going to be like, wow, this guy is a like, massive fake. And so when I first moved to D.C., I totally bought into that whole, you know, aura of, you know, what's your name? Who do you work for? Like, those are the first two questions, you know. What's your name? Who do you work for? And it was just an underlying, like, they might as well just ask the question, what can you do for me? Right. Because that's all they want to know, right? Yeah. How can you benefit me in any way? Are you like are you somebody whose circle I should be in? Do I want you in my circle? We can all be friends as long as we all give somebody like some sort of a For sure. Right? It's kind of weird. And I I it came to a point where I just got so exhausted and I started to get away. And I think this is this is my qualm about DC. I think some people are made for that. Some people love that whole vibe. They love being in in the spotlight, they love the parties. They love the the competitiveness, right? All of Everybody's it. Everybody's yeah. competing all the time, right? Real sure. Cutthroat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of frenemies. I think is probably a good word to describe right. DC. Um, and you, it's it's tough. Like you get sucked into that, right? Because it, especially, and for me, it was more of it wasn't because I really. I didn't realize this till sometime later, but it wasn't because I really cared about any of that. It was because I'm a competitive person. You just want to win. Right. I just want to fucking win. Just want to be the baddest right? dude on the block. I do. I just want to race, Daddy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so yeah, first or last. I found myself, you know, learning and I and one thing I got really good at was I found a really damn good tailor. And I would get really good at taking like cheap suits, but getting them tailored to make it look like I was wearing like a two, three thousand dollar suit. And I learned how to dress well, and I learned how to use my southern accent in a way. That was the first place I'd ever been where people looked at a southern accent as oh, like oh, he's got he must have southern money. He's at this party. He must have that southern money, yeah, right? Yeah, can't oil tycoon or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? yeah, like or a Charleston, some blah blah blah, whatever. Yeah. And eventually, I just kind of realized like this is exhausting, and I only have, you know, I, I think we we both keep pretty small, close circles of friends anyway. But I was just not interested in my my 
One day I was like scrolling through my phone book on my phone. Well, what happens when you have a bad day one day? Who are you calling to hang out with? <sighs> Nobody. Who's picking up? You know what I mean? Yeah. If it ain't something hyper competitive or some business thing or something. Well, the interesting thing about it is my best friends in D.C., uh, there's two of them, um, Lindsay and Diego, and they both came from really similar backgrounds. Like neither of them were from D.C. Neither of them came from money. Um, and we were all kind of young and we, we worked at the same place. We were together like all day, but we just related very similarly. And, and I, I think if it wasn't for them, like, I, man, I wouldn't have made it. DC is one of those places that in my career, I could have never gotten the quality of work uh, that I did in DC, but I, it just like, it's just so soul crushing. I wonder if you can hear the slurping. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a big deal. Yeah, I uh, I kind of felt the same way when I went to. I'm from Eastern Washington, not from Seattle, so I get stationed over there. Right. My my I did four years in California, all of which I was deploying, and then I I get back. They ask me where I want to go. I say Washington. I'd like to go to somewhere close to home. Right. So they send me to, to Western Washington, which is completely different. The state's completely divided. It's all liberal on one side and all Republican on the other. I mean, it couldn't be more different. And uh, same thing, just lifestyle I was not used to. Yeah, I, man, I don't know. I, I, I fought it for a while because I really, and to this day, I really love the work I lived in D.C., love the work I I love the work that I did in DC but I just didn't I I was just not in it to be there long term I never saw myself there long term I got in a relationship with a girl that I thought I just like you when I moved to DC I had just come out of a divorce um that I got married to my high school sweetheart at a young age and you know, I latched on to this person that was kind of quintessentially everything that my ex was not, you know, super high strung, super smart, intellectual. Um, and I was like, man, this is what I want and need. Like this person is awesome. And it was crazy because I got so enthralled in this person that I completely glassed over like what I needed. And I was just trying to give and give and give and, and compete for her attention. And that's what kind of what the catalyst was. I realized at some point, like, holy shit, I should, I'm competing for you. Like, I'm with you, and I'm still competing for you. And so that was, that was kind of like... Just becomes toxic. It was kind of a light bulb for me when I realized I have to get out of here. Um, so that's when I left D.C. and came here. And I've been here... <laughs> Gosh, I guess I've been here for three, almost four years now. It's funny you say that. We can get into it later, but uh, kind of a, I've had a very similar thing happen, you know, and uh, a little more recent than yours, but kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just another example of a similar. That's why I was so interested in doing this podcast with you because I think that we we t- we come from like two totally different worlds but really kind of the same and i think that we see the world a lot the same i think that we um 
I think that we see people in a really similar way. And I, I'm interested to kind of get into the podcast more on deeper subjects with other people and and kind of riff, you know, riff back and forth and get that. That's the biggest interest that I have about this is hearing other people's stories and like learning right. about other people. Um, and that's it. That's what I think this podcast should be. And I think this is hopefully a pretty good start. Yeah, I have I have one question for you. Uh, do it. How yeah. how often do you find yourself? I think about this all the time. How often do you find yourself fighting a poor man's mindset? Oh, that's a good question. I every day. <laughs> I think probably every day because I um I don't strive for I, you know a goal of mine in life is not to be this like super rich guy. I don't think that money will solve I don't think money will make me happy. I think money will solve a lot of my problems. <laughs> I think money could solve a lot of problems on paper. A lot of problems that are being created because of unhappiness. Yeah, you know, maybe that's an interesting way to look at it. Like I yeah. I you know, I think that they are well, I grew up and I guess this kind of goes back to the poor man's mindset, but I think they are a lot of times a catalyst of one another. Right, like you could, it's kind of like the chicken or the egg thing. Like, which came first, the unhappiness or the not having money? You know, and and how did those things kind of stunt your growth in whatever ways? Um, but yeah, for sure, I would say every day the poor man's mindset thing, every single day. As Abraham, my dog has just eaten, and now he's inspecting Travis's face. Um, for sure, like walking straight through the microphone zone. For for me, one of my one of the toughest things for me is just every day, I fight this. You don't belong here, feeling. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't. What, what are you doing with your life? Come on, man. You don't. Yeah. You don't come from this. This isn't you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I. And almost that fear to reach higher because it's like. Do you think that stops you in your... A lot of times, my it's almost like... In your pursuit. Man, it's crazy because I... If you... I, I would think... Not even trying to be egotistical, but if you heard me speak, you would think that I was educated or at least somewhat intelligent. Yeah. You're a highly intellectual I, person. I, I couldn't be any dumber on paper. I mean, I can't even... I, I, I did ASU online for a little bit, and I, I mean, I did okay, but I just hate school, man. It's just so tough for me to sit there and like... Yeah, but for me, that doesn't... You know, I... I, okay, here's what I'll say about that. Coming up, you know, again, kind of going back to that, for lack of a better term, blue-collar lifestyle, I I thought that, like, I had to go to school. I had to be – I had to get, you know, a master's or I had to get a doctorate or whatever and, like, go do this certain thing. Um, but now that I have those things, I, I realize it's like – kind of doesn't mean shit like it you know it's certainly gotten me places and and I, you know there of, of course i the career path that i've taken in my professional life um i had to have the bachelor's i don't know that if i would have needed the master's or the law degree <clears throat> um <clears throat> excuse me but it, it also like doesn't the weird dichotomy of it is that education has not really made my career it it really just got me like the first shitty job right right and then me just being 
a blue collar guy jumping in there and learning everything because I was competitive because I was taught to work hard. That's what's taught me everything in my career wasn't the education. So that's kind of like a shitty thing. It's it's kind of a qualm that I have about our system. Right. I mean, this isn't even a, a woe is me statement. It's a legitimate fact that I've had to face. Um, we live in a building where people are well off to live here. Yeah. Most of the girls we meet are lawyers, doctors, yeah, physicians, pharmacists, whatever. Yeah. They're educated. I'm a welder. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I got out of the Marine Corps and I did the one thing that I have talent in because it can make me money. Right. And it doesn't make me a great amount of money, but it's it's okay. Yeah. And it's the only thing that I can do right now that can make me that money that right. I know of. So I do that. Yeah. It's more of a... See, at 30 years old, you should be starting your career or whatever or getting pretty good into it. You should be doing pretty well after you've gone to school, you've done everything. I mean, even if you're – you should be getting your PhD or whatever if you're going for that. I don't know. So I got a lot of these friends that went off to school and did their thing, and they're they're doing great now. And I'm kind of at this weird point in my life where I'm like, what the hell am I going to do? Well, I think with that, because I – you know, because of other things that I did – um, working and racing, I didn't go. I mean, I went to college fairly late in the game. Um, I, gosh, I guess I didn't go to college until I was like 23 when I started college. So I was not the old guy, but I was older. <clears throat> and I, but that, I think the way that that served me is that when I got to my, my post-grad education, I was ready. Like I, I you was weren't messing around. I was pretty good through undergrad because I was just old enough to be like, okay, I'm, I'm here because I want to be here. But when I got to grad school, I was like, I looked around. I was like, oh yeah, this competitive right? motherfucker's going down. Yeah, and I knew, like, I knew that I could be, and and it wasn't necessarily that I was just smarter book smart it was i was just see i'd love to take that competitive drive this is that's probably how, that's what you did you took your drive from racing your competitiveness and you just focused it on that, at that well time. i think i was just i was just more savvy you yeah. know i was just because they were all like a lot of those younger kids even though i wasn't that much older you i was, had so much i had already experience. been out like dealing with real life things and yeah. i was like this you know whatever discrete math test ain't shit like i gotta go to work after this you know and i've got a i had a wife by then you know i had a home and and it for sure made me a better student but but i also think the point you know the greater point there is that like those things don't make you necessarily successful in life or even an intellectual person if i you know the way that i look at it now now that i'm in um you know, a, a higher manager role in the work that I do is when people come in, I think that we are actually, this is not true for every industry, but I think that we're getting to the point now where we want people that are um, moldable and that are displaying, um, you know, traits that, that they understand the subject matter or 
it's it's interesting because we have one of the teams that we have at work. Um, I do so. I in my in my day to day life, um, I uh, I work in digital marketing and and I run a couple of different teams. And one of the teams is is SEO. And the thing about SEO is nobody learns that in college. Like you don't go to grad school for search engine optimization. <laughs> Right. You know, like nobody knows that stuff. And it's it's so I don't really care. You know, we've interviewed this past well, last week and this week um, I've interviewed six different people. I can tell you the traits I can I can tell you the people off the top of my head who would be good because they showed the skills. I could not tell you a single university that any of these people went to. Because I don't care. It right. doesn't matter. Right? I mean, it, it does not make them good at the job. And but so, they can't even get that interview without that. That's what's... You know, I would say that that was true probably maybe as soon as five years ago. But now it's coming down to more networking. It's changing know? now. Well, it's. I think that I... Yes, I would say you are still correct. Like, to get that first job, like, you got to have something. I don't think you necessarily need the four-year degree in certain digital aspects, but it's probably going to push you up a little higher on the pay scale if we're getting into the semantics of it. But I, I think we are one of the industries. You know, tech is so interesting because everything moves so fast. Like, school is a little bit irrelevant. It's more interesting to me if you come in and you show the ability to be up with the trends. Right. Or you know, you know, you can talk to me like you could go to your apartment right now and spend a couple of days understanding Google's current algorithm makeup and you could come in and talk to me about it. And that's not something they're going to be able to teach in college because the thing is every quarter Google has a new rollout and twice a year they have a major new rollout to their search algorithm and so it literally the thing changes every 90 days textbooks can't keep up with they that. can't keep that in college they can't yeah. teach you that in college and they can't teach you the tactics they can't train you in a college class because the whole landscape is literally going to change right right and it's i mean it's it's no different than a video game it's like those guys are constantly trying to make a new game extending every day. the world right that the game is based on it's they like they don't have the limits like like our brains or you know like the earth does right they just keep making a bigger world and they can't teach that in college because they don't know where the fuck the world's going right i mean that's a stupid like analogy or Way whatever down. play yeah. on words but yeah. it's it's true so i i feel you for sure because i i I'm, i have no doubt that that stuff is a challenge but my hope is that we are changing than that we are I think that there are more of us getting into managerial roles that are starting to look for more in the people that we hire. Right. Right. What um, makes that person tick? Yeah, because Am I gonna get along with the person too, right? Yes and no. That's I mean nice. I want some people I I, well, you don't need to be buddy-buddy buddy with them. But. I, well, I guess it kind of depends because personally I 
Yeah, I don't want somebody that like we hate each other for sure. Exactly. That but is- I also don't mind. I don't mind difference of opinion. I don't mind difference of point of view. I I thrive off of. And my buddy in DC, Diego, he there's two phrases I use that he hates. First one is you don't know what you don't know. It's true. He hates it, but it's a hundred percent true. The second one is I never learn anything from anybody that's exactly like me. No. And so I don't want people. I want people that probably have certain characteristics that I have because I know that I'm going to be able to connect with them and be a good leader in that way. And I need them to also have at least one connected aspect to another person on the team, right? So that we can build a connected web of people. Not everybody on the team has to get along perfectly, but they need to have like little things in common that they can find and like depend on each other. But I find that I really, really want people that will bring me new ideas. Um, But I, I, I think conversely to the trend that we're starting to hire people for their core values more than just their education. The converse of that is that there is still a lot of people out there that I think are afraid of hiring people that are more sad. No, that are more savvy than them. I think there are people that are afraid to build teams of people that are more powerful than them. There's one thing I've learned. Uh, the Marine Corps is very uh, competitive, but also very uh, – it's a, it's a brotherhood. So yeah. nobody is really – if you get promoted, great. You're not taking somebody's job. Right. They've still got their job. Right. Out here in the civilian world, it's a lot different. People yeah. don't really want you to do good. Well, people are afraid – Some people, people are really scummy. I mean, it's bad. Yeah, I, I think people are afraid to let go of responsibility or any kind of entitlement they have in their job. I don't, and I, I think I'll always probably say this. I could care less about title. I do not care. Like I know my, um, you know, like right now I sit at the hierarchy in my company. I'm at like a VP level, like I guess is what it would, that's not my title, but that's with our hierarchies. That's kind of what it is, but I could care less what you call me. You could call me like master janitorial you know i mean i i really do not care what the title is what i care about is i love as i get more into career to my career i i love like doing great work i also really really love one of my favorite parts of my job is fostering people is building a team that is is made up of people that want to go someplace together but also that want to go someplace on their own. Like, how can I help you get to where you want to be, whether it's with our company or not? Because I, the way as a generation, it's not going to be, we don't, we don't keep jobs like our parents do. No, it's just so much different now. Yeah. You're not working for the same place for 30 years anymore. It just doesn't work that way. So I don't know. I'm super interested in that. I think maybe some people feel that way. Some people don't. I don't know. That probably doesn't answer your question. It's a lasting thing to help somebody. It feels good forever. If you see that person in 20 years and you got them into the door somewhere else, rather than you were scared that they'd take your job, so you just castrated them yeah. and didn't let them succeed anywhere else. I mean, that's that's you being insecure. But that's like that's you know, true. I mean, I mean that's, that's a part of... poor leadership. And unfortunately, it's out there everywhere. We see it all yeah. the time. 
Um, yeah, for sure. And I think that it's, it's weird to say this, but it's true that making, helping people in any aspect in, you know, like volunteering or just helping my friends do things they need to do when they need it or in the work place or whatever. How much more that? Like that makes me feel good. How much more it people, a lot of people say, like you said earlier, that I'm one of the sweetest guys you've met. A lot of people say that, or they say that I do a lot of nice things for a lot of nice people. Uh, that really isn't for them. I'm actually very selfish. That makes me feel Yeah, better. it makes us feel good. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I tell oh, people 100%. that all the time. I'm like, eh, I just did that for me. It makes me feel way better. Yeah, it makes me feel good, yeah. for sure. Helped you move your couch. Helped you take out whatever it is. I mean, it just, uh, I feel that I'm helping out a friend. It makes me feel good yeah. to be a part of the family, to be part of the group. Well, and I think it's good. It's, uh, I won't say it's like a high, but it's definitely just this, it's not euphoric either, but it's just like this lasting I don't know, calming thing, I guess. It's the right thing to do. And it de-stresses me, too, because when I go and I help people, um, I guess in smaller instances, you know, this is a smaller scale than we're talking about. Like, we're not talking about helping people with their careers anymore, but when I help people with tasks, that's a part of my day that I don't have to think, right? Like, you just tell me what to do, yeah, <laughs> and I'll, like, do great. that thing, and, and we get time together. We get to know each other a little more, but I, like, I don't really have to put in that much effort. I get a lot more out of it than I'm giving, really. Right. You know, I mean, it's usually they're, like, menial tasks, but for me, I look at it as, like, it's a chance to talk to somebody. It's a chance to kind of get to know about this person or what they're doing um, or, you know, something they're interested in. Because I've got, you know, I talk to a lot of people about, you know, people seem to want to talk. I I don't feel like I bring this to myself, but I feel like it happens a lot is people want to talk about the things that I'm interested in. But I really am interested in, I love talking to other people about the things they're interested in. You're kind of tired of talking about racing cars, right? Every, everybody wants to hear your story about racing cars and everything because that's not normal. There's not a lot of people that you meet that race cars I'm pretty, that have seven helmets sitting in their kitchen. I'm no. pretty uncomfortable with it. Yeah. I mean, I like I love talking car. I love like being around car dudes or people that if if somebody comes and they're like, oh, you know, blah blah blah. Did you see the, the new Porsche GT4? Or, you know, then I, like if my ears perk up in that way, I'm like, okay, we're having like a, this kind of conversation. I'm, right. Then I'm good. But if people are just like, I don't know, whatever, we got a question about it. I'd, Tell me about your race. Tell me about your big accident. Something like that. Yeah, Stuff you really don't want to talk about. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just, it's not that I'm ashamed or anything of any, I'm just uncomfortable being in that kind of spotlight, which is weird. <clears throat> because, in the same way with golf. I just don't, it's my, it's my own thing. It's like my therapy. I don't really... But at the same time, admittedly, like, I love being up on that podium. I, I love being, uh, you know, like, I, I love whatever that is. Standing, having that time, like, up on that podium, like, spraying the champagne. I love that. I love doing that. You know, <laughs> like, I, I have no problem admitting that. But it's just, I don't know. It's, I guess, the time after where you, where you're, like, People are like, oh, tell me about this thing, or tell, I don't know. 
I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's in that instance. That I feel I, like if we want to talk about something, we'll talk about it. But when people are trying to pull it out of you, it's just like, eh. Yeah. That's why this is so fun, though. Like, asking questions is interesting because you learn. This kind of pulls me, like, out of my own comfort zone. Yeah, and the best thing about it is I don't ever have to listen to this. So if it ever goes, <laughs> if it ever becomes something, I just will keep not listening to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then... Nobody's ever going to hear it anyway. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, so... Toy Story is over. I think all in all, it was a decent first episode. Yeah, a little clunky. We'll get through it. Yeah. We'll get better. I think it was good. I think the people learned. I hope people learned a little bit about us. I think we'll get deeper into things. The next thing we have to do is figure out who our first guest is going to be. So those are the two big questions for next week. What movie are we going to put on? We didn't really talk about the movie I know it. There's some cool scenes. I seen. Uh, I forgot about the mean kid with the braces. I forgot. Yeah. I don't know what his name was, but I, when he was trying to like set, he was using the lighter to try to like. Put, he was using firecrackers, I think, to set these guys. Yeah, he was trying up. to like launch Buzz Lightyear off. I forgot the about the bottle that. rocket. Yeah, like it's all kind of flooding back to me. I did see Slinky Dog once. There was a bazillion dollar reward for Mr. Potato Head too. I thought that was funny. Mr. Potato Head. I had a Mr. Potato Head as a kid. Um. Okay, so we have to figure out what the movie's going to be. Um, we have to figure out. We got to find our guest. We got to have a guest. Um, Another person from the building, past or present? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll have to. I mean, we're sure as hell not getting a celebrity. But who knows? <laughs> um, things. What real quick to end the show? What's something exciting coming up? For you that you're looking forward to. I got something exciting that we're doing tomorrow night. Yeah, a huge group of us. I've never been to anything like this, so we're all going to this thing. It's band Griffin. We're going to see Griffin. They play electric, like a house music, but the guy plays uh, live instruments. Yeah, he's awesome. I saw him at Very talented. Um, (laughs) I've never been to anything like this before, so this will be pretty cool. It's going to be good. I saw Griffin um, at Coachella with Soch, who is another one of our friends in the building. Um, what I didn't know, I've just recently learned this and this kind of made it more awesome for me is that we were pretty far back. It was at the Sahara stage at Coachella. Um, and his set was amazing. Um, but I just learned there was like a little mini documentary thing. I think you can find a link to it on his Instagram page. Um, he had a full orchestra down below the stage and we couldn't see it from where we were. Wow. Um, I doubt that'll be that way tomorrow night, but so I'm excited about that. Um, anything else you're excited for in the next week? No, that's about it. Cool. All right, man. Well, good show. Thanks for listening to the nobody that's listening. (laughs) And we'll see y'all next week. Easy.